and welcome to Bite Me, the Buffy podcast, where I go through Buffy with my good friend, Mr. Joe Ford. Joe, how are you doing? I'm glad you said with your good friend, Joe Ford. For a second, I thought you were just going to say, I go through Buffy. episode. <laughs> I was like, hey, what about me? If I'm honest, I've, the intro got away from me a little bit there. I've been coping with floods running through my house for the past week. So to talk about Buffy for an hour with you is an absolute treasure, I'll tell you. <laughs> and what's interesting is we get a Noah reference in the episode we're going to be talking about. And you had a yeah. fun. So, well, hang on, what's next week's? Angel. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm going to have Darla turn up at my house with a machine gun. Every week, there's going to be something terrible that's happening in that Buffy episode. Oh, well, I can handle it. And I, I, to answer your question, I'm thrilled here. We're talking Buffy, mate. Come on. Different to last week. We had, a great, we had a great time last week when we recorded together. I sort of reached through the screen here. I can almost touch you. But... Can hold hands. Oh, oh this, is, this is getting a bit gay already. We've only just started. <laughs> we got to hit our quota. <laughs> we do, we do. We've Just got to getting enough to release. We've got to please every demographic. I have had an influx of gay followers since since oh. podcast. So. <laughs> since you started mentioning, you know, having it off with David Boreanaz. <laughs> yeah. I think that's just all your family, you know, and, and yeah. people that have said you were gay all these. They're all now following you to find out what you're going to say next. <laughs> Well, let's consider this podcast your, your coming out ceremony, the entire so, run. We've got shiny new Bite Me mugs. We do? Yeah. Maybe we should sell them. Pretty gorgeous as well. Yeah. Folks, look at our logo. If you want a Bite Me mug, get in touch. Yeah, 100 quid. <laughs> the merch starts here. <laughs> actually, do you know what? That would make a gorgeous T-shirt. It would do, actually, yeah. yeah and underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. we do a calendar. Oh, okay. Well, can I tell you, we have got a zinger of an episode to talk about this week. I think this might be the strongest episode since the pilot. Yes, I would I would agree with that. And I'm not sure that should be the case, because I think it's probably got the most absurd premise of the entire season. A, a bunch of school bullies get taken over by hyenas. But like, don't you think, in terms of taking the Buffy premise of something supernatural mirroring something that happens you know, during your childhood, this is the, the most explicit mirroring they've done so far. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it took me back to my high school days of being bullied instantly. Oh, I've got a tale for you later. I thought maybe let's talk about the episode, but we'll, we'll both come come back in for therapy yeah, later. Yeah, this is great. I mean, it's slightly undercut by the fact that the bullies all look like they're 40. Some of them look like they could be parents. I'm going to say this to you now. You've got to get over this, you know, because as we go through Buffy, you're going to see a lot of 40 to 50-year-olds pretending to be teenagers. It cannot affect the entire run for you. That's true. That's true. They were very convincing, though, as as both bullies... And as hyenas, that's a weird thing to say. Oh, Nicholas Brendan's performance in this is incredible. It might be his strongest in series one. If you'd have said to me before watching it, would Nicholas Brendan make a credible bully? Because he's usually the comic relief. I said, no way. He's the buffoon of this show. He was really scary in this. Yeah. And, but I think uh, the director knew how to lie him, how to shoot him, and he used those eyes of him in the most spectacular of ways. Even even like crafts his mouth in a different way, mm-hmm. and it, it's yeah, it's menacing. I don't know who he worked with on that, or if that was all just something he in- instinctively did. But yeah, he's definitely menacing. 
Maybe he was bullied himself. He's like, right now's my chance. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode was written by Matt Klein and Joe Ryan Kamir, I think is his name, and directed by Bruce Seth Green. No relation to Seth Green. Bruce Seth Green, right, goes on to direct Angel, Dawson's Creek, Gilmore Girls, Law and Order. He did Highlander, Babylon 5. He is, again, it's another sort of genre television staple. The direction of this was great, Martin. I, re- I really thought this was well put together. You remember we talked about in Never Never Kill a Boy on the First Date about how some of the action sequences were a bit laboured and a bit padded and they weren't sort of hitting their mark? All the set pieces in this I thought were great. I think this might have been the scariest one so far. And tell me if I'm way off base when I say this. It's that thing about, and it's something, as an adult now, this really scares me. The thought of like a pack of kids that have no respect for authority whatsoever and will just go and cause fucking chaos and hurt people, you know? There's something really chilling about that and they play into it. I won't spoil the big twist this early in the episode, but they play into it brilliantly in that scene where Flutie is trying to get them to you know apologize for their actions and and he's basically pointing out all the things they've done wrong and they just don't care do they it hit me differently now because i've got an 11 year old daughter that has just started high school Mm. so yeah hit i'm you know i've got those concerns about bullying and stuff like that already going on in my head and then seeing something like this and just those kids that you know we we see them in real life just these kids that just don't give a fuck that's the thing, like, you know, vampires, um, praying mantises, you know, you're not going to see those things in real life, are you? This is tapping into something that's genuinely scary and a bit primal. In my shop, we get packs of kids coming in all the time. I'm calling them packs now, like they're hyenas. <laughs> Groups of kids coming in all the time. And they sort of feed off each, you know? And one's being naughty, so the other one's trying to be a bit worse. And then they get louder, and then they're shoving things over, and then they're smashing things. And I've seen it happen. But this is that sort of idea taken to an extreme, where they are hurting people and where they are murdering people. It's kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, the whole hyena thing is is fascinating. And I, I've had a fear of hyenas since The Lion King. When I cool. first Go on. Not, not in any kind of way, like of a nightmares or anything, but... Just, yeah, just eat animals that laugh. And I don't know if it's true that they can mimic human speech. I didn't I didn't look into that, but that's terrifying if they can. So clever as well, because something that bullies do is they just take the piss out of people and they usually do it by laughing at them. And so just having them laugh at people, it, it, it works because they're pretending to be hyenas, but it works anyway because i've seen kids at school do this sort of thing i don't know where someone's trying to read out a school paper or something like that and they're all just laughing the red sort of to make them feel uncomfortable it, it tapped into something this episode really tapped into something that frightens me and i think it took me back to school i was bullied quite badly at school certainly in my second to last year in my last year i had six months out because things got really really bad and so the sequences, you know, when they're doing the dodgeball and things like that, and, and they all turn on that poor kid and start, I, I experience stuff like that. I think Buffy is looking to tap into some of this stuff with its audience to really make you feel. This episode made me feel a lot. I watched it at five o'clock this morning. I was sitting there with a cushion up going, oh, God, I'm like <laughs> back at school again, being bullied by all the kids. Uh-huh. It was really effective. Yeah, it's it's so realistic, especially when Willow gets cut down. 
Xander. My, my heart broke for her because she's our willow. We know who she is. And especially seeing the, the man she loves turn on her like that. What is it? He says to her, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to take Trig anymore, so I don't have to look at your pasty face again. <sighs> Do you not think this episode dealt with the Buffy, Willow, Xander triangle the best as well so far? It made all those sort of feelings. They've all got really raw. And Xander even, she doesn't realise because he's been taken over by a hyena. I can't, I'm not going to stop saying that because it's the only time I can in this episode. But he is telling her, I really fancy you. I really want you. Um, to a point where he shoves her up against the wall. Did you, did you see that bit? Yeah, even Buffy says it herself. He borderline committed a sexual assault. Yeah, like, yeah. that is strong oh, stuff. Season one. When was this going out? What time was this going out? In America, I think it was like 8 p.m. Oh, okay. All right, so yeah. it's like borderline water shit. So, yeah, Sky 1 used to air it at 8, but I know BBC 2 put it out at about 6, but there would be edits. Right. Maybe yeah. some bits of this episode weren't in there. And a lot of this is sort of implied rather than explicit. We get an explicit rape scene later on in Buffy. I'm almost willing to believe BBC 2 took that out altogether, or Sky 1 or whoever was showing it. It went on on Sky because I watched it on Sky. Uh, was it heavily edited? No, 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 no. Wow. What, six o'clock in the, in the no, evening? No, Sky put it on at eight. Oh, okay. Buffy okay. was always Fair on enough. at eight, and then Angel was on at nine on a Friday night. But you're right, though. Jeez, Willow, she tugs on my heart, man. Oh, uh, and what about poor Principal Fruity? Okay, let's have a moment for Principal Fruity here, because I feel as if they made him deliberately adorable in this episode. You know, when he's going around with the pig, and he's going, yeah. he's not a pig. He's a fierce Razorback. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love you so much. I'd forgotten this was the one where he died. So when, oh. that, when that scene hit, I was like, oh, no, this is the moment. I'm not ready for it. <laughs> I, tell me if I'm way off base. I think that might be the defining moment of series one because it dares to take a really stupid premise and play it for real in a very scary way and it took a character that you and i both love so i'm willing to bet you know we're a good sort of couple of demographics i'm willing to bet we are a fair opinion of the audience take a character that's well liked and kill him just to keep the audience on its toes oh it's genius genius and just whedon also said that this was the episode that made them realize the audience cared more when one of the regulars was in jeopardy Right. Well, we talked about that last yeah, week, didn't we? Yeah. Was it was it on Never Kill Boy on the first day? Uh, on it? the witch. Oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. We were like, yeah. what? Why do we care when we don't have these people? You know? Yeah. Oh, just the the what's the actor's name who plays Principal Fruity? Oh, I'm gonna have to look that up, Joe. I feel so bad taking the piss out of his name when we're talking about his death scene. So just for once, I'm gonna say Principal Fruity. Almost liked him, <laughs> Principal Fruity. So he's played by Ken Lanier. Ken Lanier, I salute you because what he did was create a sitcom character within Buffy. He's he's a bit of a joke. And then in his last scene, all of that comedy drops and he panics. And he's really properly scared. And I just sort of sat up. I remember the first time I watched this, you know, when they scratch his face and he's basically screaming, you know, get down from the desk, do as you're told. Oh, I think that might be the scariest moment in the first season. Oh, it, yeah, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And then there's that moment when he thinks they're agreeing with him because they pass him the phone. And he's like, okay, thank you. Yeah. And he has that brief moment where he thinks it's over. 
And then she pulls the phone away, doesn't she? And then the very clever direction where the camera just swings around onto the photograph of him looking really happy <laughs> as they're p- literally tearing him apart. Ooh, well, can I ask you a question then, please? Yeah. About This is going to involve spoilers, so anyone who doesn't want to hear spoilers, maybe skip ahead the next couple of minutes. How do you feel about a television show murdering off characters before their time? Because I think he had more to offer. Yeah, but also it showed that nobody's really safe. So you can get a character that you really like, and they're not necessarily safe. And I think that's what Buffy did really well. Angel as well would do this. But it starts in Buffy. And yeah, I just think it, it, it's a great way to just make the audience feel ill at ease. Well, you know what? I'm going I'm to be bold enough to suggest the times when people leave, but I won't say the character's name because I've already had one person come at me saying I'm dropping too many spoilers. <laughs> this show's been out for 20 bloody years, all right? You should have watched it by now because they obviously they killed off Jesse in episode one. And I'll say that because it's about that. Um, they kill off a character here. They then kill off a character sort of two-thirds into Series 2. Then they kill off another character at the end of Series 2. Then they kill another character off at the the middle of Series 5. Then another one at the end of Series 5. And then another one towards the end of Series 6. They never, ever let you get comfortable with this cast, I don't think. Yeah. No, that that's what makes it a real roller coaster of a ride to watch this. And I, I remember really liking Principal Flutie. Did I say it right? Yeah, I said it right. Hey. Well done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember just really liking him and thinking he was going to be like the comic relief principal throughout the whole series. So, yeah, the rug was really pulled from under us. And we get a great replacement. And what oh, I, the, the, I mean, better, I think. I think Armin Schumann's Principal Snyder is one of the best characters in Buffy. I mean, he's just horrible. And they do the perfect thing that you have to do in a TV series is when you replace a character, you have to go the complete opposite. So like in Cheers, when they replace Coach with Woody, complete opposite characters. Same in Cheers again, where they replace Diane with Kirstie Alley. They're completely opposite characters. That's what you need to do to have a successful character replacement. When Jadzia Dax left Deep Space Nine, she was very confident, wasn't she? All woman. And then they brought in Esri Dax, who was this shy, mousy. Yeah. Yeah, it was a total contrast. Yeah, and I think it's what they do every time the Doctor regenerates, isn't it, pretty much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Contrast, like, though, is had they had Snyder and principal fruit oh, i can't say it now fluty in it together like if it had been headmaster and deputy headmaster and one's an arsehole and one's really nice you know yeah, that, yeah. that might have been a nice contrast but four marks for that death scene that that is very very scary that sticks with you. Yeah. And, and you know what's what's great about it is it ain't even the scariest death in Buffy. There's, there's <laughs> ev- almost all the the ones to come are scary. Yeah, absolutely. Geography of Sunnydale Watch. We've now got a zoo. A zoo. Sunnydale. So we've got a water reclamation pump, a zoo, a, a graveyard. I mean, it's getting bigger and bigger by the episodes. Oh, what I keep meaning to check on like something like Etsy is if someone's drawn like the town plans. Of Sunnydale, that might be a good thing to get our hands on. They did it towards the end of Series 7 with everything in there, and it's a fucking massive map. I say, (laughs) (laughs) got the airport. Oh, yeah, it's got an airport. It's not an international airport. Everyone says it's an international airport, but Giles flies from Sunnydale to LA. And I swear Cordelia said in 
one of the episodes we've already seen, there's not a whole lot of town. The good, <laughs> the good side of town's quite near to the bad side of town because we haven't got a lot of town here. And there's one Starbucks. <laughs> well, I mean, it would be, wouldn't they? This yeah. is America after all. Uh, what did you think of the direction of this then? I thought it was good. I noticed something I hadn't realised before. Go on. All the scenes in the bronze, they're the same extras from the last episode. Oh yeah, they're what they're Yeah, it's a reused it's a reused shot. They must have shot them both back to back on the same day. They've just got one payment for the season. They've got to keep coming back. That's probably what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep an eye out actually going for the for the right people. I always notice in the school halls, you know, there's some very forgetful students in Buffy because they go up and down the stairs or back and forth to the lockers over and over again in the yeah. scene to try and make it look busy. But that's Did, like we get the who guy <laughs> he's there talking about a band and clearly he knows xander and he likes him oh talking of a band hang on a minute i think i've got the detail here in slayer by keith topping a bit where xander's walking around the campus in slow motion and there's a proper like rock tune playing excuse me while i just uh, look into my tone you can have to edit out the silence here and we know it's cool because it's in slow motion it's brilliant but the song was excellent Okay, so there's there's three songs in this episode. You've got Sprung Monkey's Reluctant Man, Dashboard Prophet's All You Want, and Far's Job Eyes. It's one of those. Those Keep are dropping... 90s band's name right there. Keith Topping says the incidental music is some of the best of the season. And you know what? I've got to agree with him. I thought the music was great in this as well. But in terms of a production, I was this was the most impressed I've been since The Harvest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The action's all good. I like the twist with the zookeeper. Well, I'm going to... Oh, oh, sorry. Hang on. Let me address that. Edit me being a a Wally out there. Do you not think that was really well seated, the way he was in that first scene in the zoo? Yeah. And just going, oh, we've just had some new hyenas in and all this. And then at the end, when he's there with Giles and they're getting all excited and he's got the makeup putting on his face. And then it's not until the, the, the... sort of the middle of the climax that you realize he's the one that's responsible for this all along oh i also love um this is where giles gets knocked out for the third time this series (laughs) and that becomes a recurring theme doesn't it become a joke yeah not again you know gets angry with it eventually Mine, didn't you hear his line where he went, testosterone is the great equaliser. It turns all men into morons. <laughs> it's true. It does I, can, I can attest to this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every decision I've made in my life that's been poor has been due to an overdose of testosterone. Yeah, same. Same. Every questionable Tinder swipe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, we're, is there a dating episode of Buffy? Or it sounds like we've got some stories to come. <laughs> oh yeah you got irobot eugene talking of giles though don't don't you think they in a very savvy move he doesn't appear in the first half of the episode so the sort of the i think when giles is about you've got a figure sort of an authority figure there who makes it feel a bit safer and you don't but he's not around in the first half of the episode so those zanders going around treating people terribly and those bullies and it kind of felt more tense for it the second giles turned up i relaxed a little bit and then they murdered the principal they're playing me like a fine instrument mine i love willow's reaction where she just kind of slumps down in her seat and she's like they ate him up and willow yeah it's just so good willow's gonna have some great reactions to some deaths you know <laughs> do you remember without saying who it is <laughs> of course uh, do you remember the one where she's on the phone and she takes the call about the character dying, and it's all done from the killer's point of view, looking through the window. 
That's so good. It's great. Buffy is a great show. We are, you know, we knew it already, but now we're talking about it in some depth. Well, come on, what else have you got for me? So, yeah, this is the first episode this series not to feature Cordelia. I didn't even notice. Yeah. Wow. She's she's in most of them though, right? In the first. Yeah, yeah. She's in most of them, and she's in the opening credits because she's a regular. But yeah, she's just not in this episode. Might have been interesting to have had her in this, and Zonda being sort of sexually confident with her. Yeah. I mean, I did I did look up some hyena stuff, and it's the female that are the leaders of the packs in hyenas. So they got that wrong. But I guess these are monster hyenas. They're not like proper. Jesus, imagine if it had been Willow instead of Xander. Oh, that might have been cool, actually. And she would have been hot as hell. Well, looking ahead to the future again, when Willow does take a slight detour into the dark side, it is hot as hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with the black hair. (laughs) (laughs) What else have I got here for you? I thought the sequence where Willow was alone in the library when the pack attacked, that was really well directed as well. You've got Xander trying to sort of convince her to open the cage that he's trapped in. What is that cage? Is that where you return books? I think that's where he keeps the most expensive books. I think that's what it's meant to be. It turns out in the first three years to be just where they lock up anyone they don't want to. Get. I think Angel ends up in there at one point. I think even Buffy ends up in it, doesn't she? In the one where everyone wants to fuck yeah. Xander. Yeah, yeah. They're all cycle. Anyway, she's she's there on the computer, sort of researching hyenas and things. And then suddenly you just see these hands coming up at the window and they're going, Willow. And suddenly, bang, the window smash. It's, it reminded it's, me of that film Salem's Lot, you know, the Stephen King. Why? What happens in that? Just this little kid turns up at the window, scratching it, and he's now a vampire and he's like scratching at his brother's window. And it's so creepy. And I, I wouldn't mind betting that this was an influence on that. But the sort of the, having uh, a, a young female victim alone at night being attacked by a group of people. I mean, that's just standard horror, isn't it? But yeah. done really, really well here. There, there was a few moments in this episode where I was like, it is a crazy premise, but tonally, this is as close to the mark as we've got so far. Yeah, th- this... I would recommend this to someone who has just thought, Buffy, uh, what's that? I recommend this as a good gateway episode into the world and the lore and what Buffy is. It's funny you should say that, you know, because when I first watched Buffy, I think this was the one that really made me sit up. I remember loving this when it first came out. And I don't know how old I would have been, but not long out of school. So the sort of experience with bullies myself would have still been very raw for me. Mm. And I just, I just think it re- it really captured that fear of bullies extremely well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Can I ask you um, then, you know where this is going, but where would you imagine, so when you first watched this, where did you think the Buffy, Xander and Willow triangle was going then? Because it really is in the air in this. Yeah, I didn't think... Well, it's difficult for me because when I first watched it, I'd already seen series two first. So I knew that Buffy ends up with Angel and... Oh, of course she did. I think Xander's with someone else in series two. I can't remember. That might be series three. So I knew that that didn't work. Surely you remember who Xander's with in series two. I can't remember if it's two or three that they get together. It's two. 
Two. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, they start sort of snogging and having it off in cupboards and things like that in the series two. By the end of the season, it's that it is that episode where they've all fallen under Zartan's spell. You know, someone's cast a spell, so every every woman in Sunnydale wants to fuck him. <laughs> and the 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 girl who won't admit to her friend that she's having it off with Xander finally has to step up and say, No, he's mine, back off to all of them. That's right. Yeah, it's serious too, yeah. In fact, oh, please, I know it's way ahead, but can I just say the nine that she says to Joyce and keep your, was it, and keep your mama sized pores off my boyfriend? Period. <laughs> I think that's a big clue as to who it is now. <laughs> Joe, I thought a fun idea would be for us to look at undeveloped Buffy spin offs been proposed over the years. So I guess the first one, the one that Joss Whedon was really passionate about, that actually got money to develop test footage for, was Buffy the Animated Series. Of which you sent me footage of this week to have a look at. Yeah, it was going to be made by Fox Kids, and it was set during Series 1, and Dawn was going to be 10, Buffy was going to be 16, Angel was there, and it was basically the whole Season 1, but it was going to be stories we didn't see in Season 1. So was this mooted after the series had ended? Uh, yeah, or towards the end. Right. So, so what you showed me there, was that just like a test room? Of- yeah, that, that's what they put together to, as like a scissor reel to show people what, what the series could be. Well, I'll tell you what, and it was only like three minutes long, wasn't it? That captured the sort of the lightness of series one perfectly. I was watching it going, I really can't tell the difference totally between this and what I'm watching at the moment. So I think they got it spot on. Yeah, it's very, very well done. And it stars Giselle Loren as Buffy. And I could, she, I could tell it wasn't Geller. Yeah, but she is Sarah Michelle Geller's approved choice for like all the expanded media. It wasn't so different. No, she's good. She, in the game Chaos Bleeds, she plays Buffy, and she's phenomenal. And I just think, as a cartoon, they could have just gone to town, couldn't they, with the monsters you know, the set pieces and things like that. So I think it would have been a, a pretty savvy route for the show to take. Yeah, and we used to, we also get a dragon in there. <laughs> yeah, we were never going to get a TV series. But what was really great was, as I was watching the sort of the animated Scooby gang, like Sanders all sort of fidgety and, and a bit energetic like he is on TV. Willow was very still. Like I was like, they captured their characteristics beautifully. Oh, excellently, yeah. Excellently. And it was good to be back in the library set. Why didn't it? Just nobody wanted to make it. They couldn't get funding. What is wrong with these people? I think people will be biting their hands off for a Buffy animated series now. Yeah, I mean, if it was to be announced that Disney were working on it, I think people would be excited. Hmm. And my hope is that with this Spike series we've got coming up in Audible, that it's a huge success and it sparks interest back in this franchise. I thought you were going to say to me that there was a The Pack spin-off considered, giving you shows this episode to bring it up in. I was like, how the hell were they going to make a series about this bunch? Do you not think it was a bit weird, right, how this pack of hyenas stroke bullies who have eaten the principal then just go off at the end of the episode and there's no punishment whatsoever? Well, yeah, I guess nobody saw them do it. And I guess, like, like they said, the theory was a pack of wild dogs got into him. So you would just think, yeah, some some wild animal came in and this was terrible. But imagine those kids living with that. Well, the, there's a very savvy point made in the last scene where Giles says to Zonda, I don't remember anything about the subjects of hyena possession losing their memory. 
because he's trying to pretend to Buffy yeah. that that he doesn't remember shoving her up against the wall and threatening <laughs> to sexually assault her. Um, so yeah, so they've got to live for the rest of their lives with the knowledge that they ate this poor principal and the pig as well, a live pig. Uh, the pig, I think I could get over oh, if I did so it. Cute. What's I'm wrong with you? Easy, but you know I had bacon this morning, so I I can. I can call part mentalize that, but yeah, getting over eating a human would be harder. Next time you visit, I'm putting a live pig in front of you. Then, all right, let's see how you do. Was um was Angel in this? He wasn't. Mentioned. Yeah. Oh yeah, she goes, doesn't she? She gets um all the feels or something like that. Whenever she's around, she's trying to be very casual with Willow and say she hasn't really felt the tingles for a while. And then Willow goes, really. What about that hottie I see you with all the time hanging out in the entrance of the bronze? And she's wearing his jacket. Oh, she, oh, she, oh, I didn't notice that. She's still wearing the jacket, yeah. Yeah. Another spin-off that was banded around was Faith the Vampire Slayer. And it would have been like, you know, the 70s Kung Fu series where he's traveling around town to town, kind of like the 70s Incredible Hulk. It was going to be like that. She was on the run with a motorbike and it was going to be her going town to town. But Elijah Dusku declined doing it to make true calling yeah that wasn't great was it i mean i think true calling only lasted a season it did yeah the trouble was it had a premise that just it didn't lend itself to telling different types of story you could just tell one type of story and then try and do interesting things with it she should have done the faith series yeah elements of this were then incorporated into the buffy comics like the season season would she have chipped out of buffy in series three and then gone straight into that series well, no, because she's in Angel quite a bit. Well, she, she, comes, she comes back in Buffy in Seven, doesn't she? Yeah, when um, Willow goes to get her, yeah, um, she goes to get her from Angel. And what did they say what the tone of that series would have been like? They just said it would have been like Kung Fu, so that David Carradine kind of Kung Fu show where he's just going town to town. You're just reminding me of Highway to Heaven starring <laughs> Michael Landon. Do you remember that? Yeah. My mum loved that, you know, where he walked from town to town and there'd be some some drama to sort out and then go off. It's a bit quantum leapy, isn't it, as well? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think this could have worked. I think I you do. could totally do it. But she would have needed a very likeable cast of people around her because Faith's quite an edgy character. Oh, she would have had to travel with a sidekick. Yeah. yeah you, you need someone there. I don't think you could just have Faith travelling around on her own. With a new cast of characters every week. But Jesus Christ, Elijah Dusky has got charisma. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bucket lows. So she absolutely could have fronted that series. And if it would have been sort of Joss Whedon written. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that would have flown. I yeah. think that, that probably could have been as successful as Angel, you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Another one that was banded around, but it didn't. This seems to be like they just had a meeting and they were like, right, there's no bad ideas. And somebody <laughs> picked Slayer School. And that was set after Series 7. It was going to be all the potentials learning to be Slayers. What was it you were just saying about no bad ideas? That is a terrible <laughs> idea. Yeah, it didn't get beyond that meeting. Oh, um, imagine. You'd have that awful Molly. Oh, no, she dies. Oops. Um, <laughs> Kennedy, your favourite. Uh, who else? Who else was in the potential? Felicia Day. I can't remember her character's name. What was the, what was the black chick's name? Amanda? She gets, she gets uh, No, Amanda's the sort of really tall, skinny one. Oh, yeah. In the episode where Dawn thinks she's, yes, she's the yeah, yeah. and it's actually now there was there was a, a girl as well who got who had her arm snapped by Caleb in one episode and she's sort of going around. With, well, anyway, it would have been an annoying bunch like they were. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm very pleased that didn't come to pass. And yeah, then you remember when DVDs were big? 
and like what do you mean guy got cancelled and then like a dvd came out and it did so well that it came back there was plans for like a buffy verse dvd range and spike was going to get a movie Oh, it's going to be Spike and Illyria, but it just didn't happen. The closest we actually got to a spin-off that actually got budgeted and costed and stuff like that is Ripper. Uh, which we have alluded to several times. That was supposed to be quite an adult show, wasn't it? It was going to be a lot darker. Yeah, it was going to be basically ghost stories. And it was right. going uh, to start Anthony Stewarthead and his two daughters were going to play his aunts. The way oh, wow. Witches. That sounded a bit like Bewitched to me. <laughs> <laughs> Bewitched, but a bit more edgy. So there was a lot of sort of this in the run of Buffy. There was a lot of sort of ideas. Yeah. And the Spike movie, I think it was going to feature Illyria. I don't know if you know that character. Who's that? That's someone who comes up in Angel later on. Oh, hang on. That's not who Fred turns into, is it? It is, yeah. Jesus, I've dropped so many spoilers in this episode now. I think, you know what, I think we probably should just draw a line under this now, in that Buffy is a very old show, and we will draw spoilers. What do yeah, you think? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we're, if we're talking about 60s Doctor Who or 60s Star Trek, exactly. people have watched it. So this nearly 30-year-old show, yeah. It would be like not talking about an unearthly child in the mid-90s. You know, like, yeah, yeah, it's great. Sorry, Luke Malloy, it just means you've got to wait until you've done the entire run to <laughs> listen to any episodes. But I was just wondering, Joe, out of all the Buffy verse characters, if you could pick one character to give a spin off to, who would it be? I think the obvious one is probably Giles because he's got the authority. Yeah. There's like the Watchers Council, so you could do some interesting things like that. But that's you want me to choose somebody who actually yeah i've got one who would not be an obvious choice because she's not like got a ton of confidence but maybe tara tara would be good she's actually got a prequel book out at the minute and i might i might make it very magic heavy i may be sort of leaning towards more comedy than drama (laughs) okay i'm going down the bewitch route again i'm sorry i'm not saying i'm gonna give her a black cat and two crazy arms but no, I think Emma Benson, one of the best actors they had in Buffy, and she wrote, she writes as well, doesn't she? Yeah, she's one of the head writers on this uh, Spike audio series that's coming up. So in my new spin-off series, um, Tara casts a spell. She's uh, she's writing and directing. She's going to be like a creative force in the series as well. Coming in, what about you? I think Oz. What when he goes off in his travels? Yeah, either then or after. But you you do it like the seventies Incredible Hulk show, where he's he's trying to find the cure or he's traveling around the world. I know they bring it back in the comics and he's got a wife and stuff. But I think you could make a really good show with Oz or maybe even Willow. I know there's a there's a comic where Willow's now grown up and she's got her own comic range. And she's got a daughter that's got her own book range. I think you could do stuff like that. I thought you were going to give Kennedy as. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My favorite character. Yeah, that's, that's the <laughs> Kennedy one. Do you know who I would never give such a boring character? You're going to fight me on this. I know you are. And you're going to say, no, no, no. You didn't watch the run. And he had some great episodes. Gun from Angel. Jeez, he's boring. <laughs> he's got an interesting run in the comics. I remember reading the Angel Series 6 comics. My only experience of him is on TV, though. I can't remember a highlight or a great scene in an episode or anything. And the actor was boring as well. I, yeah. I'll be interested to revisit him and see 
if there's something there. No, I like Gunn. He he evolves a lot over the series of Angel. Oh no, do you know who we could give a spin-off to? Sorry, you've got me going now. I'm gonna keep going. The the green fella from Angel who sings the songs. Every episode he can sing three oh. songs. Yeah. What's his name? Lawn. Lawn. Oh gee, that's when Angel got really good when he came along, Campus Christmas, singing a song in the most episodes. Yeah. Oh, great. Sadly passed away now though. Well the actor. Yeah, he died like fifteen years ago. He um had a root canal or something and he got an infection. And that infection caused him to have a heart attack. Science. Yeah, he was only like 29, 30. Well, look, I'm not going to do the John Levine thing and say, well, he might be dead, but at least he appeared in dot, dot, dot. What <laughs> I will say is he was a very talented man and we can still enjoy watching him at his best in Angel. Oh, absolutely. I think he might have been my favourite character in Angel, you know. Here's a bit of trivia for you. Tom Lank auditioned to be him. Really? Yeah. Andrew? Yeah, they had they had a rule on Buffy that um, if your face had been covered, if you played a demon, you could play two roles. Okay. And they tried not to recast. I mean, they they used Knox in Angel, and he had already played a character in Buffy. He's the boy in conversations with dead people. The Buffy's fighting. They liked him, so they brought him back. But they tried not to reuse the actors. But Tom Link plays a vampire in Buffy, and then he got an audition for Angel. But then they decided. The guy who played Tucker, because you know Andrew's Tucker's brother, mm-hmm. the guy who played Tucker was unavailable because he was working on another show. So they wrote in the character of Angel, and after he auditioned for Lorne, they said, oh, we've got this other character. We think you'd be perfect for him, Buffy. Well, I'll say this. While we're talking about spin-off shows, because if you'd have told me that Andrew had the legs to even hold up a single episode of Buffy, I'd have told you you were mad. Then Drew Goddard wrote The Storyteller, in series seven and you've got enough potential there to give him a television show because he is so funny in that episode you know what he could do an audio series as well where he's recanting tales is he gay in buffy does he come out no he doesn't and in angel they keep it ambiguous god damn it what is wrong with these people well i've got a friend called jason and his theory on andrew is that andrew's straight curious (laughs) <laughs> he is gay but he hears all his friends talking about sleeping with Buffy and wanting to sleep with Buffy and he's like ah oh, might as well give it a go but Andrew never shows any interest in Buffy in the TV show he's only interested in Xander yeah do you not remember there's that wonderful scene oh Jesus Christ sorry we're so away from the pack now but who cares that wonderful scene where he's um, got the camcorder in Storyteller and you've got Kennedy and Willow and they're getting off with each other on the sofa and he comes in and goes oh my god look at this and the camera goes past them <laughs> and he starts shooting the windowsill and goes Xander's work on this windowsill is absolutely amazing <laughs> Oh, I've got a confession to make, actually. A girl sent me a nude once. What? I went... (laughs) I have never had a nude sent to me, ever. There's someone on Tinder, and I was like, I've got to say, the tiling in your bathroom is incredible. (laughs) Did you say that? I did. (laughs) Honestly, every episode you drop a story, you know, where I just got my head in my hands. (laughs) She hadn't had that reaction before. I've had a few nudes sent my way as well, you know. In my time, I've got to be honest, I'm never looking at the tiling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I looked at the full image and enjoyed it, but then I noticed the tiling. I was like, I've got to, got to know who did that. But I think the conclusion, you know, we can draw from all of this spin-offery conversation is there was so much potential. 
not not the potentials. There was so much potential to take any one of these. Jenny Calendar, I think, could have had a spin-off show yeah. if they wanted to. Her going off, I don't know, to another country w- with her wickers behind her or her gypsies. Was she a gypsy? Yeah, she was a gypsy, yeah. Um, yeah, so it what it shows is all of these incidental characters on Buffy are so well characterised, so well performed, that they've all got legs for their own series. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's testament to just the creative vision of, I guess, Joss Whedon and everyone involved. Yeah, and like any of the regulars, I even think Xander could have held his own show. Yeah, although the sort of the, the idea behind Xander is he is the side character, isn't it? And they do a couple of episodes, the Zeppo in Series 3, mm. and what's the one with the, when there's two Xanders in Series 5? I can't remember the name. Quite, quite no. close to the beginning of Series 5, where the whole point is nobody's noticing him. You yeah. know, but Nicholas Brendan could have done it. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. not sure he's out of prison at the moment, so I'm not sure he can at the moment. I looked him up yesterday. His last Instagram post was in May. So it's possible that he's doing a bit of bird. You just sparked something in me as well about, um, you just said, you know, Joss Whedon. What I'm really intrigued to see as we go through this thing is not just focusing on the big episodes because the pack isn't a biggie. It's a mid season episode that just happens to be really fucking brilliant. It's looking at the creatives that aren't Joss Whedon, so the directors and the producers and the other writers, and just seeing who's doing solid. I know Marty Noxon does some brilliant work in sort of five, six, and seven. Yeah, and Jane S. Benson. Oh, her scripts are just... I mean, she's a rival for Joss Whedon for the for the funniest scripts. But I wanted to quickly highlight Bruce Seth Green yeah. again, <clears throat> because he goes on to direct a ton of Buffy episodes and I'm going to name them now because he's they're only in series one and two. He obviously then went on and got another job somewhere else, but he did teach his pet that we've already seen the pack nightmares towards the end of series one, which is excellent. Some assembly required near the beginning of series two Halloween, which is a classic. A lot of people find oh, that's one of the best, the dark age, which is, a, it's basically the pilot for Ripper. It's yeah. the one where, where you find out about Giles's dark past ted do you remember that one with the robot yeah and then phases the first in the sort of willow and oz werewolf romance sort of thing so he directed some really really strong episodes absolutely yeah yeah he's he's a solid director and i'm glad that he's gone on to continue working in tv i guess he's the tony burrows of this world and tony burrows did all the big sitcoms it's like he did cheers frazier friends Bruce Seth Green is the Tony Burrows of the Buffyverse. Well, I'll I'll say it again. I was really impressed with how this was executed. And I think beyond the pilot and the last episode, this probably is the best directed episode of the season. Oh, no. Oh, no. Angel is coming up next. (laughs) That's next week, folks. I can't wait to talk about that episode. Um, Do you know what? I thought that was this week. Yeah, I know. I remember leaving yours and we we're like, okay, yeah, Angel next week. <laughs> Do you know the only reason I didn't watch Angel rather than the pack? Yeah. Was because you pop an Instagram post saying, I'm watching this tonight <laughs> in preparation for the next recording. I went, what? <laughs> There's me preparing the DVD for Angel. <laughs> I was like, initially, I was disappointed. And then I watched this and I was like, this might be better. <laughs> this is great. I know you're not going to think that because you are a massive David Boreanaz. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I enjoy the pack. I think, yeah, it's one of the strongest episodes in series one. 
can I um can I out the pack then with a quote from Giles? And it's a quote I wish my mother had said to me when I came out as gay. Buffy, boys can be cruel. It's a lesson I've learned over and over again. <laughs> and we'll leave it there. <laughs>